The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I think a lot of us actually have this sense that Jesus is a little bit like that. And what about us? Who do you just not like? Now, before you just start shouting it out or before while you're watching on computer, you start mumbling people's names. Uh, let's take it a little further. I mean, not just not like, who do you hate? And why? And what do they do to you? Recently on a mission trip where we were going to a predominantly Muslim part of the world, we were traveling up into the mountain villages and delivering food and clothing to very impoverished people. And we went to one home, we were bringing them food. And uh, after we got into the home, the pastor we were with explained that uh, there was a guy who in that home who had locked himself behind uh, the door and he was in the bedroom because he had just gotten back from war fighting with Al-Qaeda. And then they said, hey Patrick, why don't you pray over the home and pray God's blessing And I'm just telling you, I like froze. You you want, I don't even know if I know how to pray that. There's somebody who just got back from fighting soldiers who are protecting my country. Maybe Maybe he even killed one of our soldiers. And you, God, I called down lightning over this place. Somebody strike this house with fire. And you want me to bless it? I have never struggled so hard in my life to mumble out a prayer. And maybe you're like me, you've got a list of people that you just really struggle with even mustering up any sense of desire to like. And you feel really justified in not liking them. Maybe they're against what you're for. Maybe they hate you and so it's easy to hate them. And they're not like us and so it's easy to not like them. They don't like us, and so it's easy to not like them. No, they don't belong here. They don't have a job. They smell. They say the wrong thing. They act the wrong way. They're, they live the wrong way. They, they have, they're immoral. They're impure. They drink the wrong thing. They have the wrong religion. And so... It's easy to have a list of people that we don't like. And maybe we even justify it by thinking that God doesn't like them. And hey, if God hates them enough to send them to hell, then I am certainly justified to hate them as well. Maybe I'm getting a little too close to home. Exodus chapter 21, verse 24 in the message translation really captures maybe what you hope the Bible says. 
which is eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for foot. I mean, burn. I mean, it's kind of the code of the law. Someone strikes you, strike them back. Somebody takes off your hand, you take off their hand. You, you hurt my country, I hurt you, your country. You injure me, I injure you. And, and, and so you could imagine that this was the ethic that the Jewish nation felt toward the Roman Empire. You have murdered our people, you have raped our women, you have robbed us under the term of taxes. And so we are praying and hoping for God to lead a revolution by sending his son, the Messiah, to overthrow Rome. And we're gonna, we're gonna do to you what you did to us. And when you, we overthrow Rome, we're gonna exact from you the same things you've exacted from us. And so Jesus comes along and he is this powerful leader heals the sick and raises the dead and they see in Jesus their coming king. And so they mob to Jesus, but he withdraws. They follow him, hoping for a revolution, but instead Jesus offers them revolutionary truth. And sitting down on a hillside as the people gathered, Jesus began to teach and his teaching, that sermon is recorded in the gospel according to Matthew, a, Matthew, a tax collector one of those hated men, citizens among the Jewish people because he worked for Rome, gathering taxes used to fund the standing Roman army in Palestine. Matthew, who gave up his livelihood to follow Jesus, later in life recorded the life and teachings of Jesus, and he wrote this sermon that Jesus preached that day. And the opening of the sermon simply says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Very first thing Jesus said, blessed are those who sense their inner poverty. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt because then and only then can you inherit the eternal kingdom of God. And then he continues, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He said, blessed are, blessed are you when you recognize your, that you're spiritually bankrupt and as a result, it drives you to weeping and mourning because then and only then will you receive the comfort of God. And then he continues into the next step. See, they have a natural sequence. First, you have to recognize your spiritual poverty. That spiritual poverty drives you to a deep inner brokenness or mourning. And then he continues, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. As a result, that changes how you treat people. It changes how you see other people. When you recognize that you and I are spiritually bankrupt, and then we become brokenhearted about our spiritual bankruptcy and it causes us to begin to weep and mourn about the state of our soul. It changes how we see everyone around us and then how we treat them. And so Jesus comes back to this point he's making and he, ex he expounds on it. And so I'm going to read to you just kind of the, 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 the opening verse of each of his statements he's going to make about how you live out in your relationship with others based on this idea of blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are you, blessed are the meek. And so he, he later in his sermon says this. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, you, you thought 
I said, you thought God said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then he continues. In verse 43, he says, you've also heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This one hurts. The Jews were known for their religion. <laughs> they were also known for hating Rome. There was a whole sect of Judaism, the zealots who were ready to overthrow Rome. And they were regularly coming together and training to resist and fight the Roman armies. And so they caught the attention of the emperor because the Jewish nation was constantly in revolt because they believed that God wanted to reestablish their nation. And so they were constantly training to overthrow Romans. They were, they were sat jumping and uh, you know, sabotaging Roman soldiers. They would secretly jump and kill this group of uh, soldiers. They would ambush a group over here. And so like the emperor was constantly like, man, these Jewish people are, a tr are troublemakers. And, and then Jesus is like, you heard it said that you can love your neighbor but hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Imagine, imagine a crowd, a mob of people who see Jesus as their hope, and this is how he's talking, and you can sense the, that the revolution is beginning to deflate right before their eyes. I mean, this guy, we can't trust him. He's telling us to love our enemies. He's supposed to be telling us to gather swords and spears and overthrow our enemies. But Jesus isn't talking about a physical kingdom. He's not talking about politics. He's not talking about an outward revolution. He's talking about something deep and personal about God's kingdom growing inside of us. He wants to change their heart, not their nation. And his words, they follow 2,000 years and they, they, they land into our ears and they challenge how we live and they challenge how we treat people. Because too often, you and I have a long list of people we don't like. We have a long list of people that we're even, we even feel justified in hating. But Jesus, when he teaches he challenges us, challenges us with this, and it is, it is one of the central truths of the entire Bible. If you were to capture the sacred writing of God as provided through his scripture, this would be one of those challenges that you cannot miss. When I go before God on a regular basis, this is the one that if you ignore this one, you kind of miss the point. And it would be this, this would be my challenge to you. I would encourage you to write this down. As you're taking notes, feel free to write this one down in the program and, the, and, and your study guide. Hopefully you're taking it online or digitally. You have a smartphone or tablet. Feel free to type, type this in if you're on social media. I try to say that every, every time I preach because I want to challenge you to take notes. If you're anything like me, it's easy to forget stuff. But, the, but you didn't come just to hear me say some things and then leave. 
You're here. You, you checked in online with us. You're going to be, you're watching at one of our campuses. And you're not just here so you can just go through time and, you know, you got other things you could be doing. You're here because you believe, and maybe you're, maybe you're not quite sure, but I want to tell you that the word of God, when it enters into our mind, it can then pierce our heart and transform our habits. And, and so that, that pathway uh, comes through our hands as you write or type, then it sticks in your, your mind and then your heart and then it becomes a habit. And that's why I wanna encourage you to write this down so that you can remember it, so you can apply it throughout the week because it's not the information, it's the application of the word that leads to a transformation in our lives. And our heart, our desire for you is that you become transformed. And so how do you apply this? What is the point? Simply this, love people. What, what was Jesus saying? Blessed are the poor in spirit, people who have spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are people who mourn because they realize their spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are people who are meek because they are mourning because they're spiritually bankrupt. And this whole idea of being meek, and then Jesus follows it up and says, here's how you should treat people. And the number one takeaway is simply this, condensed into two words, love people. And wouldn't that be amazing. Imagine, imagine we could begin to get this truth, this challenge out across the, uh, you know, the entertainment waves and on social media. Love people, love people, love people. Imagine what would happen if you went home and you began to love people. Imagine you started to love the people you don't like. You can see it, right? It can become revolutionary. The challenge is it is impossible. But why is it impossible? Because the kind of love that we share comes from a source inside of us of hurt and hate driven by sin. Sin, which is our spiritual brokenness, which has pushed us away from God and left us spiritually bankrupt. Because we are driven by a spiritual bankruptcy called sin, which has separated us from God, left us on our own, and as a result, the sin desires drive us to do what we want, which is to sabotage God's best for our life, which in turn destroys us and leaves our lives headed for ruin. A life headed for ruin is not only spiritually bankrupt, but is in, on a crash course trajectory with eternal judgment, which is why when we realize that, we can begin to mourn. I go, I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm on my way to eternal destruction. And we can begin to weep and mourn, recognizing our own broken state. And when we mourn, we, we go, God, there's no hope. There's no help. But here's the thing, right? I, I started by saying so often we can justify hating people because we think even God hates them. But God never said he hates people. In fact, God loves people so much that he would do whatever it takes to make sure people don't go to hell. Some of you, you thought that God sends people. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God loves people so much that he would do whatever it takes to keep people from going to hell. So God steps out of heaven, enters into our world. God was willing to send his own son to keep you and me and people you don't like and people you hate from going to hell. 
He said, you're gonna have to go to hell over my dead body. And so Jesus takes the collective curse of sin. He takes the death sentence of sin. He takes the eternal judgment of sin and he puts it on himself. And Jesus dies on a cross once for all, bearing the weight of our sin, bearing the curse of sin, bearing the judgment of sin. And he died in our place. He died in your place. He died in... He died in that Muslim's place. He died for that race of people that you have a hard time with. He died for people in poverty. He died for people who are in that top 1% of income earners. He died for Democrats. He died for Republicans. He died for white. He died for black. He loved people so much that Jesus was willing to die in our place and your place and their place, but Jesus didn't stay dead. After he died, he rose again victorious over death. And in his resurrection, he conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered eternal judgment so that anyone, don't miss that, anyone, 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 hold up, say it with me, anyone, if you're watching on video, if you're online with us right now, I want you to say anyone. Would you just shout it right now? Anyone. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith could be forgiven of their sins and given new life. And it's not complicated. It's not like you have to work really hard at this. In fact, there's nothing you can do. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it. You don't, you don't try to be loved by God. In fact, you can't do anything to make God love you any more or less. God loves you. God loves anyone. And so the only thing we do is receive his love. And once you receive his love, his love compels you to respond in love. And when you begin to respond to God in love, right? You receive God's love. And as a result, you begin to love God in return. You begin to love Jesus. And as you love Jesus, you can't help but that love changing you so that you begin to love the people God loves. And he loves all people. Don't miss this. That means you are under the mandate of heaven to love people. And so let's go back and let's study how do we live this out then? How can we apply this to our life? So I'm gonna go back and I'm just gonna walk through the teaching that Jesus had as he explained how to love people. And so Matthew chapter five, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. He's talking about evil people. He says, you heard it said, an eye for an eye tooth for tooth, that you don't have to like them because they don't like you. And Jesus said, no, but I tell you, don't even resist an evil person. And he's expounding on this idea of meekness that he talked about earlier in his sermon, which he said, blessed are the meek. And, and when you hear that word, you think it sounds like weakness, but that's not what it is. It's actually an easier way to explain would be this, to love people, we love people by being graciously restrained. 
It means that we don't react the way our sin nature wants us to react. We respond based on God's spirit in us. Rather than reacting out of hate, we respond in God's love. And when you respond in God's love, you are graciously restrained. You hold back the hate, you restrain your instinct, and you respond in love. And that's why you don't resist an evil person. Now remember, Jesus is talking about what's personal, not political, all right? So don't let your mind go running all the rabbit trails. Let's keep it on our hearts about God's kingdom in us. And Jesus is saying we need to be graciously restrained. Now, how do we live graciously restrained? Well, he explains, but I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So each of these, I'm gonna have to offer a little bit more explanation. He goes, so you you heard that and you think, Jesus is telling me to let people walk all over me. Somebody punches me in the face, I'd be like, here, punch me again. But that's not really what's going on. You know, most people are right-handed. And so if you're gonna throw a punch, you're gonna throw it first with your right hand. And so where would your right hand fist land if you were to punch somebody? You would hit them on their left cheek. But Jesus says specifically, he goes, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. He's not talking about self-defense. He's talking about offense. He's talking about somebody backhanding you. And specifically in a Jewish culture where being backhanded was a tremendous insult. Like you can't get much worse insult. It's like talking about someone's mother and, and you're like, every ounce inside of you starts rising up like, we're good, let's go. I will tear you apart. You want me to pray blessing over this house? I'm praying lightning. And Jesus says, if they strike you on the right cheek, if they insult you, I want you to offer them vulnerability. And that's it right there. Gracious restraint we, we demonstrate gracious restraint by offering vulnerability when insulted. What is your instinct? When someone inst- insults you, you want to go eye for eye, tooth for tooth, tit for tat. Let's go. You, you make fun of my mother. I will make fun of you right to your face and I will tear you apart. You, you want to rip me off? I will burn down your house. You want to shoot me? I'll get a tank. You know, like we just, we just get all riled up and, and I'm no different than you. We all are driven by that same, same crazy sin, right? And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we, before we burn down the world, when you're insulted, offer vulnerability. Okay, let's continue. So we're not talking about self-defense, which was allowed under the law. We're talking about offense. And what Jesus is saying is here, Be careful not to hurt or harm people once the danger is gone. I mean, your life is not under threat, but now your pride is hurt. I mean, no one's gonna destroy your home, but your ego has got hurt. And now you wanna hurt, now you really wanna hurt somebody. Because now you're thinking about what was said and now you're coming up with the argument. Now you're coming up with what you could put online. Now you're coming up with what you can really do to dig them. And so Jesus is talking about revenge, which is far deeper, far more hurtful, far more damaging than anything you can do in self-defense. He's saying instead, when you're insulted, offer vulnerability. It will shock them. Put down your guard and be graciously restrained by showing them your heart. Bear your heart. Invite them in when your tendency is to push them away. 
When you want to throw a punch, hug. When you want to insult, be vulnerable. When you want to protect, open your heart. And then Jesus continues. He said, and if someone wants to sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Okay, so the law said that if, you're, if you get into a, a, um, a dispute where there's a suit or a, you're, you know, there's like some, you need to work out what went wrong. And they could go to court and the judge, once a judge would make a decision, the person who won the conflict could require the tunic of the other person as a promise that they were gonna get their payment or they were gonna get justice. It was a, like a promissory note. Your tunic was your shirt. So you could take the shirt off someone's back. And so Jesus is going like this, this. All right, the law allows someone to take their shirt, but what, what a lot of Jewish people would do is this. That wasn't good enough for them because very often somebody would be like, well, I'll just go get another shirt. And, and so what people would do is they would take their cloak. That was their outer garment. That was their, their coat. And when it got cold at night in the desert, that was your blanket. That, it was like your sleeping bag. And so what would happen is they would take someone's cloak because it would guarantee them payment that day. Not when they had time to work to pay it off. And so what people would do is they would, they would take the cloak to demand justice and victory in the battle right now. And Jesus is saying, so... Uh, when someone's arguing with you and they're gonna sue you and, and they, they, they demand your tunic, say, here, have my cloak. I'll go above and beyond. And here's the point, which is meekness. Gracious restraint offers gentle strength in a dispute. I have the strength to give above and beyond. I'm gonna gently go overboard when you're, when you're disputing me. Our, inst our instinct is to win every argument. We want, you want to take my toys? I'm not going to take my toys. I'm going to take yours. I'm going home. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Do just the opposite. When you're in dispute and you could leverage your strength to take more than you deserve, give more than they deserve. Did you catch that? When your strength or your justice would allow you to take more than you deserve, offer more than they deserve. That's how you love people through gracious restraint by gently using your strength in the midst of dispute. And then Jesus continues even further. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Again, Jesus is talking about very specific things that were going on in the Jewish culture. In that culture, at that time, the Roman soldiers under Roman law could require any Jewish man or really any subject of Rome to carry the load of the soldier one milan, 1,931 steps. And so they would take a guy who's working his field. You, pick up my load and let's go. And so it was very common to see a soldier walking down a road with some Jewish servant carrying his stuff. And they would, this is what they would do. One, two, three, four, and 1929, 1930, 1931, and hope that maybe the canteen broke because that's all that they were legally obligated. And Jesus goes like this, when, when, when they require you to carry it one Milan, when you get to 1931, and, and the soldier knows what's coming, 1931, 1932, 33, and just start losing count. And just keep on going. 
What'll happen is your attitude toward the soldier will transform the soldier's attitude toward God. What is, what is this? Gracious restraint offers service under demand. Typically, our attitude is this. Look, if you had asked me, I'd have done it. But when you demanded of me, no, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not going to help you. No, I'm not going to do the dishes. No, I'm not going to get your car filled with gas. If you had asked me nicely, I would have done it. See, it's a pride issue. I'm only going to help you when it makes me look good because you had a grovel to me. But if you demand it, I'm not helping you. But Jesus said, even if somebody demands it of you, go above and beyond to serve them. Now imagine a world where Jesus followers, even when they're being demanded of, offered twice the amount of service. Imagine the boss demands of you a deadline and you turn in the report early and well done. Your spouse is having a hard time and starts being a little rude and is demanding things of you. But instead, you not only go to the dinner, but you do it with a smile on your face. You not only go shopping, but you're actually helpful. You not only do the dishes, but you go above and beyond and you clean the counters. I mean, imagine what would happen in relationships if when someone was demanding something of us, we just kept right on going, just kept serving them, seeing our service as unto the Lord, not to them. That's what Jesus is sharing when he's talking about how we should love people. Now, this is really practical stuff. I mean, Jesus is getting down into the nitty gritty and people are getting uncomfortable and they're actually just like, you know, I don't like this anymore. This Jesus guy, he's not trying to lead a military revolution. He wants me to change the way I live. And then let's look at one more. Verses 43 through 46. You've heard that it was said, love your, en- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you, lo- if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even tax collectors doing that? What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, look, there are a lot of people who are nice to others when they know they're gonna get something in return. I mean, who isn't, who isn't loving toward people that are loving to them? Who isn't generous toward people that are generous to them? If I give you $10, knowing you're gonna give me 20, I mean, I'm, that's not anything great. If I'm kind to people who are always kind to me, he goes, even the most evil people among you are like that. But he says, love your enemies. So let me just make that statement. Is that okay? If we're going to love people, we have to love people, even our enemies. Here's where I'm going with this. Look, if you don't know Jesus, what you need more than anything is to tap into the love of a God who passionately loves you because you need that source of love inside of you. But if you, if you right now, you love Jesus, how are you loving people the way God loves them? Because here's what I hear, and this is what breaks my heart. Too often the church is known for who we hate and how we hate. We just seem too good at it. We have too long of a list of people we don't like. And that's all that the people outside of the church ever know. When they think about Christians, when they think about Jesus, what they hear is that Jesus is saying, you can go to hell. 
what they hear is a bunch of Christians driven by hate to hurt. But that's not at all the Jesus we know, and that's not our hearts, that's not your heart, but we've gotta live radically different so that our love transforms the world. So what does this mean? It means you and I need to start liking people. We need to start liking people that are not like us. John Maxwell says it this way. If, you, if you're a businessman and you want to be effective at connecting with people, you, you work past the 99% of things you disagree with people on to find the 1% that you can agree on, then give it 100% of your energy. But Christians are just the opposite too often. We go past the 99% of stuff we could agree on to find the 1% that we disagree on and then give that 100% of our energy. And we need to get back to finding the 1% that we can agree on and give that 100% of our energy to show people, even our enemies, that God loves them and we're gonna show that love by loving them. So we're gonna bring food to hungry people regardless of whether they hate us. We're gonna be, bring clothes to people that need clothes regardless of whether they hate us because we wanna show them that Jesus not only loves you, Jesus likes you. And we love you and we like you. It's time for us to start loving our enemies and stop having such a long list of enemies and start leading a revolution of love because we don't see people through labels and condemnation, but we see them through the eyes of God who was willing to send his son to do whatever it took to rescue them from hell so that they would not have to go there and suffer forever. So we, as a friend of God, become a friend to anyone so that they can become a friend of God. And so now let's pause right now. Where's your heart at? Maybe you're in the, in the first group and man, you've thought for a long time. You don't, you don't even know what you're doing here. Maybe you're watching online because you're scared to even come to church. You're not even sure. You're like, I thought Christians did hate me. I thought Jesus hated me. And now you're like, whoa, wait, what is this? God actually might love me? And what you need more than anything is just to receive that love of God. I want you to hear this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He loves you in your mess. He loves you in your pain. He loves you in your wrongdoing and sin. That's why he died on a cross. Not one of us comes to Jesus sinless. None of us come to God guiltless. We all come to God messed up and broken in need of his forgiveness and mercy. And if that's where you're at, then your first response is to say, Jesus, I believe in you by faith. I wanna receive your love. I wanna receive your forgiveness and I welcome your spirit into my spirit. And if that's where you're at, then right now, would you just begin to pray? Others of you, you, you believe in Jesus, but man, you're, no one would know it by the way you treat them. And what you need more than anything is you just need to have a transformation moment. For those of you right now that where you're at is you need to receive the love of Jesus. Can I just ask everyone, just close your eyes for a moment. If you're in one of our video services, I just want you to close your eyes right now. If you're online with us, would you close your eyes? And if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're making a decision to accept Jesus by faith, can I encourage you right where you're at, if you're in one of our services, if you would raise your hand high and say, yes, Patrick, that's me, that's where I'm at. I know you're, on, you're watching on video and you don't think I can see you. I can't, but, but God can. And Jesus loves you. And what you're raising your hand is you're kind of saying, yes, Jesus, 
I just want you to know I'm, I'm responding to this tonight. Would you just raise your hand high? And I want to pray for those of you that have raised your hand right now. Jesus, right now, I ask that you'd meet those that have responded and they've raised their hand. They said, God, I, I need your love. I need to hear, God, that you love me and you forgive me. And I, I, I receive your spirit into my spirit. And I ask you to forgive me of sin and make me new. And I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.